SRN Survival Radio Network. button, 
okay? That way the show comes to you automatically at no charge. And that way you can listen to the show when you want to. So whether you're walking the dog, uh, taking the kids to school, cleaning up house, uh, as I used to say, walking the cat. I don't know whether people walk cats. I know one thing, my sister has a cat, and it needs to be walked. It's It's pretty heavy. It's getting pretty heavy there. I chastise her about that. But you can do that as well. Now, we also have a new platform. Uh, we have – you're listening to right now the Weekly Wellness Show. We also have the Weekly Wellness Channel on YouTube. There you'll find some videos that's pretty good with regard to health-related topics. And you can also find great information on my website, DrAaronWilliams.com. There you'll find – more videos, podcasts, and other health information. So now if you have any questions or topic ideas, please don't hesitate to email me uh, at uh, Dr. Aaron Williams at weeklywellnessshow.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Dr. Aaron Williams and also on Instagram. Uh, so we're giving you all these platforms for you to stay in the loop and receive some great information. Uh, now, today we have another exciting show. We pride ourselves on the week we're on the show to bring you some some experts in the field, some heavy hitters uh, with regard to uh, this information. Now, I'll remind you that the weekly we're on the show is not designed um, to be your physician. We want you to, we want to encourage you to go to your family physician, but we want to arm you with information and enlighten you with regard to some of the things that we need or should discuss. And today is no different. Uh, last month was January, as you know. This month is February. And February is American Heart Health Month. And this is designated by the American Heart Association. Uh, so, you know, heart health includes coronary disease, hypertension, as well as stroke. We're going to focus on hypertension today. In a nutshell, they're all related. We'll see. Uh, but it's the number one. Heart disease is the number one cause of death in the United States. You know, yesterday you probably saw and you probably did wear all of some red yesterday. Uh, this is also an effort to raise awareness, particularly on women, with regard to heart disease. So I think because this is the number one cause of death in the U.S. We need to address this. We need to address it consistently. After all, studies show that 4 million, 4 million office visits are made every year with regard to hypertension. And it costs the U.S. $40 million with regard to having this disease. And that's only the, 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 the cost that are documented. So today we brought on, a sh- we're going to bring on, as I mentioned last week, Dr. Atis Jodhwal, a board-certified family medicine physician. He's also a quality advisor at his hospital in New York. So we're going to be talking to someone who treats hypertension every day. So he's going to bring us up to date on these guidelines that I think everyone should know. Uh, you'll be surprised at some of the information that's presented. Even if you have not been diagnosed with hypertension, uh, we think that this is going to be very important. So we're going to do that today. But first, we'll go to our first commercial break. So ladies and gentlemen, please stay tuned. Don't touch that computer or your phone so that you can be informed. Looking for a cafe with a home-like appeal where all who enter feel like they are part of something? Visit My Coffee Shop, located in East Lake, Atlanta, Georgia. MCS has a full breakfast and lunch menu, offering both hot and cold options, and is home of the amazing basil lemonade. But don't forget their assortment of freshly brewed coffees. Come on by at 2462 Memorial Drive, Atlanta, Georgia, 30317. We're pretty sure my coffee shop at East Lake will become your coffee shop too. I dope, I dope. Globally inspired vision stylewear. 
a fusion of classic heritage and contemporary sophistication. An essential part of your lifestyle and fashion expression. Idol. Idol. Vision stylewear for the fashion forward and socially conscious. Let's make this a dope world together. iDope. iDope. Available online at iDope.com. That's E-Y-E-D-O-P-E. iDope.com. Survival Radio Network, with now more than one million downloads. Congratulations to the staff, producers, engineers, and hosts for your tireless pursuit of excellence. And thank you, our loyal listeners, for supporting this movement to inspire, motivate, and educate people worldwide. Survival Radio Network, Survival Radio Christian Network, and our new Survival Sports Radio Network broadcast top-notch shows Sunday through Saturday. Check us out by visiting our website at www.survivalradionetwork.us. SRN, we do radio one million strong. The S R N. Welcome back. We are so elated to have you on this day. We hope wherever you are, whether it's morning, whether it's afternoon that you're having a great and good, healthy, and well. That's why it's called the Weekly Wellness Show, A Well Day. I'm your host, Dr. Aaron Williams, here on the Survival Radio Network, your resource for better health. Before the break, we talked about the fact that February is American Heart Health Month. We talked about the fact that heart disease, uh, includes coronary artery disease, hypertension, as well as stroke, remains the number one cause of death in the United States. So we felt this is very important that we kick the month of February off with talking about how to have a healthy heart. Now, we know this month is also Valentine's Day month, but you can't have Valentine's Day without having a healthy heart. I guess you could, but it may not be your – it may be your last uh, – Valentine's Day. So we don't want that to happen. So today we wanted to start this month off by talking about hypertension, or some people know it as high blood pressure. Joining us today is Dr. Atis Joswal. He is a board-certified family medicine physician practicing in New York. He recently completed his physician executive MBA at the University of Tennessee's Wholesome College of Business in 2017. He recently received the title of Physician Quality Advisor at Bond Secures Health System, where he's working to enhance quality metrics and improve workflow through lean, that's L-E-A-N, methodologies. Now, he's married and lives with his wife, Niharika, who is a chief clinical dietitian and a certified diabetes educator. He enjoys history. He enjoys traveling. He's very active. He's active on LinkedIn writing articles related to health care. So as I mentioned to you, we're bringing top-notch experts to the show. So without further delay, let's welcome to the show Dr. Atif Joswal. Hi, Aaron. Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, well, hello, hello, uh, Dr. Joswell. We're so glad that you took out time in your busy schedule to come and talk to us about this about this disease. As I mentioned earlier, uh, heart disease is the theme for this month, but it's also a theme because it takes a lot of lives every year. So, uh, first of all, I want to thank you for for coming to the show. Again, uh, thank you again for having me on the show. It's uh, very uh, apropos uh, for this time of the, the year, particularly February being, as you mentioned, uh, the American Heart Month, uh, Health Month uh, that we're uh, kind of honoring this month. Uh, and as you kind of alluded to earlier about the lives that are affected by this uh, silent killer, also known as hypertension or high blood pressure, uh, you know, such as, you know, affecting four million uh, visits in the, uh, as outpatient visits and uh, costing the United States healthcare system close to roughly about $40 million annually. 
not to mention all the devastation that it can do in terms of, uh, you know, uh, heart attacks, strokes, uh, and end-stage renal disease. Uh, in right. fact, you know, the, right, right. And I was just going to go into a little bit of talking about uh, the prevalence of hypertension in the United States as, mm-hmm. well, as well as worldwide uh, as being, you know, one of the most common reasons for uh, office visits uh, in addition to the fact of use of prescription medications. Right, right. Yeah, this is very, very prominent, pre- prevalent uh, disease. And, uh, you know, from some of the readings I've, I've read that even if you think you have not been diagnosed with uh, hypertension, there's a lot of folks that are out here with pre-hypertensive, uh, uh, in a pre-hypertensive state and, and really don't know it. And so I, I agree with you. I think this is very important. Um, what are some of the figures with regard to, to incidents? Uh you know, I, I mentioned earlier, we, and you just alluded to the fact that this costs us about $40 million a year at least with regard to this. Uh, do, do you think uh, some of the, the numbers with regard to prevalence are, uh, how should I say, the best that we have because a lot of people aren't necessarily looking to get screened? Right. I mean, that's a very excellent point that you bring up. Uh, in fact, uh, just this kind of leads into the point about the uh, new American College of Cardiology and American Heart Association guidelines, which were just implemented in 2017, in fact, uh, that Mm -hmm. actually, uh, you know, uh, in terms of prevalence, uh, brought in more individuals as being diagnosed as uh, hypertensive from about 32% uh, initially to close to 46% now, meaning, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. So in terms of, you know, the the, the range that was initially, uh, uh, you know, referenced for somebody diagnosed as, you know, quote-unquote normal blood pressure versus, uh, you know, pre-hypertension versus hypertension, those guidelines have changed, and I guess this is a good time to talk about that as well. Right, exactly, exactly. So that's very important. You know, I, you know, uh, what are some of the signs and symptoms of it? Uh, what can one, uh, someone in the audience might, might look out for to tip them off that you may have an issue with regard to blood pressure? You know, uh, the reason why it's called a silent killer is because, you know, if you look at, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, a, lot, a lot of people, you know, I get a lot of patients that come to the office that uh, ask the question, why am I taking this uh, medication if I'm not right. feeling any of the effects of, of, of this hypertension? And that's where it is. You know, I mean, a lot of people think, oh, I'm going to get a headache. I'm going to get some facial flushing, uh, you know, those type of symptoms. Uh, but but those are not necessarily what it is. It's really what we call end organ damage. Uh, that's what mm. we have to really worry about. And that's mm-hmm. when you um, you know visit your doctor's offices and 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 get you know you know your regular EKGs done or your uh, a blood test and urine test done that we can probably pick up on some of these things and then kind of uh, go from there. Wow. So that makes it even more important to stay in the loop with your physician because, like you said, they call this a silent killer. They don't call it silent killer for nothing. By the time you det- – a lot of times by the time you detect it, uh, you know, hopefully not, but a lot of times it's, it's, it's affected uh, other organs. Well, what, what might be some of the primary causes of this, or, or, or do we – what are some of the things that, that might cause hypertension? Right. I mean, there are many uh, what we call, like, you know, risk factors uh, for uh, what we call, you know, primary or what we call essential hypertension. Uh, I can go, couple, uh, you know, go through a couple of them, uh, you know, age being one of them, which is what we call mm-hmm. independent risk factors, which really we can't do anything about. It's called genetics. Uh, and uh, obesity uh, uh, is, is another uh, big risk factor for hypertension. Um, and family history, speaking of genetics, uh, hypertension is twice as common in patients who have one or two uh, parents that have hypertension, and studies mm-hmm. suggest that genetics account for accounts for approximately 30 uh, percent of of, uh, of uh, the variance in hypertension in the population. Um, the other uh, ones uh, that I can mention are about race. You know, hypertension mm-hmm. uh, tends to be more common in subjects uh, who have uh, you know who are African American. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, high high salt diet, um, excessive alcohol consumption, physical inactivity, and the list goes on and on. Uh, but those are the top, you know, five uh, five or uh, six uh, uh, risk factors that are that we see in the office on on a daily basis. Wow, wow, yeah, that's that's very key to understand and to 
and to tip one off that hey, this might be something that I might be uh, that might uh, predispose me to hypertension. Now, uh, so we so and then are there any secondary causes? Uh, you know, secondary meaning you know by having one condition it makes you uh, hypertensive. Right. I mean, are you referring to, uh, like, obesity, for instance, or, or a secondary cause in terms of, like, taking other medications? Because uh, there, mm-hmm. there are medications that you can take, such as, uh, you know, what we call NSAIDs, or, uh, you know, our uh, listeners yeah. may know them, know them as uh, Aleve or Advil or ibuprofen, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and also other uh, medications such as oral contraceptives, decongestants, uh, and, and, and those different types of medications uh, induced uh, hypertension that can do that, uh, what we call wow. secondary hypertension. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, hey, what's your opinion on, on caffeine with regard to that? Because that might be a – most people don't view it as a drug, but theoretically it is. Uh, you know, uh, is that is that play in regard to uh, hypertension? Yeah, so, you know, uh, and this fits into the question about when I – check blood pressure in the office uh, mm-hmm. monitoring versus, uh, you know, uh, what we call outpatient monitoring. Uh, and uh, caffeine to some degree has been shown to uh, elevate blood pressure to some degree. But, you know, it is classified as, as a drug. <laughs> so it does right. can constrict the blood vessels, yeah. Uh, but for the most part, uh, you know, other agents uh, like chronic use of, uh, let's say, ibuprofen, uh, uh, or uh, you know sodium-containing products, uh, they and and weight, even medications such as weight loss medications uh, have been shown to uh, elevate blood pressures. Wow! Wow! Yeah! Yeah! Well, okay. So we we've talked a little bit about whatever. You know, like we mentioned, this is a silent killer, but we've also talked about some of the signs and symptoms that may be present. Uh, what about the diagnosing process? Uh, you know, let's say one kind of has some of the symptoms that you've just mentioned, or they don't, but they have a family history. You know, we uh, assume they go to the doctor. Uh, How's the diagnostic process, and what should they expect when they they come to the doctor? Right. Um, You know, just going to your doctor's office, uh, you know, do a blood pressure reading, for instance. Uh, Mm. And, you know, as I mentioned and I alluded to earlier with the new guidelines uh, uh, for diagnosing somebody as having, uh, you know, stage one or stage two hypertension, I can get into that a little bit. Uh, The normal blood pressure reading for our our listeners are uh, if you have a systolic blood pressure of less than 120, and a diastolic blood pressure of less than 180 is considered to be normal blood pressure. And what we say uh, when an when individual or a patient has elevated blood pressure, that ranges from, uh, you know, about one, less than 130 uh, systolic blood pressure to less than 80 diastolic blood pressure. Now, when it gets really interesting is when you uh, diagnose uh, uh, or when you get diagnosed, uh, the criteria has changed here, uh, which is previously – used to be uh, systolic blood pressure 140 over 90. Uh, now, stage one, uh, systolic blood pressure is, you know, anywhere from 130 to 139 and di- uh, or diastolic uh, from 80 to uh, 89 millimeters mercury. Uh, so uh, based on that alone, uh, that mm-hmm. kind of uh, captured a lot more patients uh, being diagnosed and at risk. And usually the recommendation for the American College of Cardiology is that screen uh, individuals who are 18 years of age or above uh, with this criteria uh, to diagnose somebody with hypertension. Uh, so that's basically what we kind of look at. And then you also have what we call white coat hypertension. You know, uh, as our listeners may know, when you go to the mm-hmm. doctor's office, there may be a little bit of anxiety or anxiousness, and you tend to yeah. find the blood pressure being a little higher in the office than uh, maybe at home. So uh, there's a discrepancy between uh, what we call office-based and mm-hmm. ambulatory-based uh, readings. So, uh, in fact, the ambulatory-based readings tend to be the ones that, uh, uh, that are recommended in terms of diagnosing, believe it or not. Uh, that, mm-hmm. That's what we tell our patients to record blood pressure readings uh, from home and then bring it into the doctor's office so we can take a look at it. Right. Excellent. Yeah, I, I agree with that for sure. Um, and, and for the folks out there, you know, we, we hear the term systolic and diastolic. Systolic is that top number, 
is that top number, and diastolic is that is that lower number. So, you know, with regard to this, one, when you hear 120 over 80, the 120 is the systolic pressure, and then the diastolic is your lower right. is, is, is the lower pressure is the other pressure rather. And and um, you know, and you're right, uh, Doctor Joswall, when Patients come to the doctor, and something you put, some people refer to it as white coat syndrome or whatever. You know, a lot of people are either rushing to get to the doctor and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that can theoretically raise or can raise the blood pressure. And then I've also read that, you know, you know, before you come to the doctor, you probably shouldn't necessarily have, you know, exercise within a certain you know, at least at least immediately after that, after that, and you probably shouldn't have, uh, you know, had any a lot of caffeine, and you probably shouldn't have smoked within the last half hour before you, before you get to the doctor, and you and you need to to get there and just kind of relax a little bit as much as you can, you know, uh, for a few minutes before you take your blood pressure, and 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 I guess uh, you know I know I know we're trained as physicians. Uh, Dr. Joseph Walwin, when we do get those blood pressures, a lot of times we, we retake them in the office. Is, is, I'm assuming that's something that you see a lot uh, in, your, in your practice. Yes. Uh, in, in fact, that's absolutely right. As, as you mentioned, uh, those uh, uh, interventions or, or those uh, actions uh, to be taken by patients uh, prior to seeing their uh, you know, uh, family, uh, family medicine doctors or other uh, clinicians, uh, is a great way to kind of mitigate those uh, uh, falsely elevated readings. Uh, but again, as I kind of uh, mentioned earlier, the the whole monitoring of of, of blood pressures uh, is is basically, uh, according to the American College of Cardiology and American Heart Association, a, a good way to kind of get an accurate reading uh, of uh, of uh, hypertension or lack thereof. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So do you recommend, you know, a lot, you know, we have these, uh, you know, let's say, you know, someone's planning on going to the doctor. They're going to see them next week, uh, let's say a week from now. Uh, would you, you, do you recommend, uh, how, what's your feeling on the automated blood pressure cuffs that you can get from the pharmacy? And uh, how often, uh, let's say somebody's going to come in a week, in a week, should they take a blood, blood pressure uh, once a day or twice a day? What kind of readings would you like to see, uh, let's say, Mr. Jones come in when he comes to see you next week? All right. So this is a, this is a very uh, it's an excellent question. Uh, so, again, there are guidelines available for this. And uh, to get automated readings, uh, studies have shown that automated blood pressure readings are better than manual readings. Uh, and again, okay. yes. So that was actually, you know, contrary to popular belief, uh, taking manual readings were, tend to be a lot more superior than automated mm-hmm. readings, but it's the other way around. Uh, and actually, wow. uh, if you really want to be kind of very stringent in terms of monitoring individuals for high blood pressure and kind of screen them, the recommendation is uh, with automated uh, blood pressure uh, cuffs uh, reading mm-hmm. uh, about 10 times a day is what the recommendation wow. is, believe it or not. Yeah, and that's about close to uh, 20 to uh, twenty to 60 minutes uh, apart from one another, and the best readings are the ones that are in the mornings uh, okay. in terms of better diagnosis, yeah, rather than the evening readings, yeah. Wow. So Mr. Johnson should, should get a cuff uh, um, and then just, you know, just start taking readings, through, I guess, throughout the day, but particularly in the morning and, and kind of chart them. And, Correct. Um, and but at the same time, would you also recommend that we adhere to the same things that we mentioned before about you know taking this you know when you, not necessarily right after you exercise and not you know within 30 minutes or at least 30 minutes after you've smoked. Hopefully you don't smoke, but if you do, uh, you know kind of adhere to some of those same recommendations. And when they're at home, uh, Dr. Joswell, should they you know when they're sitting in the chair taking their blood pressure? Uh, how should they do that? You know, I've you know we've heard about you know having your arm, um, you know, as high as at, at the level of your heart, that kind of thing. What's the proper way that someone should do that? And so we right. make sure we maximize so, the chance of getting the reading. Right. That's also a great question. So uh, sitting, uh, there are a couple of positions. Uh, sitting, uh, crossing their legs, uh, is, uh, is is a good way to kind of get an accurate uh, kind of a, uh, a reading. 
and uh, the, the the thing that we look at as clinicians, we look at if there's a, as as you mentioned, uh, the systolic blood pressure is greater than uh, 20 millimeters of mercury, uh, and or the diastolic uh, uh, measure greater than uh, or equal to 10 millimeters of mercury. That's a that's kind of a telltale sign that there's. Uh, 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 a variation occurring and that there's a diagnosis of hypertension in that individual. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great, great. Well, and what I like about this, uh, it also uh, gets the patient involved with care. And uh, therefore, uh, you know, the patient, instead of having someone tell them you have this and you have that, they're kind of uh, involved with their care and they're more likely to uh, participate in the treatment course you know, once we once we uh, diagnose, them. hopefully they won't be diagnosed with that. But if they do, they kind of have a little bit more control. Uh, so, so we, we've talked about the incidents. We've talked about the, the you know the side effects. Uh, no, we're well, not the side effects, but the signs and symptoms. And we talked about diagnosis. I'd like to go ahead and take our, our second commercial break. And when we come back, I'd like to focus now and then on treatment. You know, uh, we talk about some of the various forms of treatment and maybe some preventive and uh, and do with that. So if that's okay, Dr. Joswell, without uh, any further delay, we'll go ahead and go to our second commercial break. So, ladies and gentlemen, once again, please stay tuned so that you can be informed. Do you have a business, product, service, or an event coming up? Is your current marketing getting you nowhere? Survival Radio Network is an award-winning network with over 1 million downloads. We're offering high-exposure 30-second spots on our network, reaching diverse demographics both locally and nationwide. Give us a call at 323-977-8172 or visit our website at www.survivalradionetwork.us today. SRN, we do radio. Do you have tax issues, owe back taxes, or need tax relief? Contact L&B Tax Service today. L&B offers you over 15 years of expertise and first-class tax service for individuals, professionals, and business owners. With nationwide service, you can easily find a location near you. Contact one of our tax professionals through our website, lbtaxservice.com. That's www.lbtaxservice.com. L&B Tax Service Incorporated. Tax professionals that you can trust. Do you know that having a dirty filter in your heating and air system can cause major damage to your unit and pollute the air in your home? Having proper maintenance to your heating and air system is just like getting a tune-up on your car. Because you want today and avoid spending unnecessary money tomorrow. Call Temperature Design Heating and Air today. 770-823-7160. That's 770-823-7160. Hi, I'm Ryan Seacrest for RAD. Over 300 people in this country are killed every week by a drunk driver. That's the equivalent of two 747 plane crashes every single week. And the problem isn't going away unless we all do our part to stop it. So if you see someone who's about to drive after drinking, get the keys. Don't leave it up to anyone else. Friends don't let friends drive drunk. A public service announcement brought to you by RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. The S-R-N. Welcome back. Welcome back. Once again, we're elated to have you join us today here on the Weekly Wellness Show, your resource for better health here on the Survival Radio Network. I'm your host, Dr. Aaron Williams, and we are so glad to have our guest, Dr. Atis Jaswal here, board-certified family medicine physician, here to talk to us about the new guidelines relative to high blood pressure or hypertension. Uh, so before the break, we talked about the fact that, hey, the new normal or the normal is 120 or less than 120 with systolic pressure and less than 80. Uh, with the diastolic pressure, that bottom number. Um, so I, I guess the, uh, you know, we, we, we've 
we talked also about you know uh, you know coming to the office, taking blood pressures before. Uh, now we've gotten to the office. Unfortunately, some of the numbers are higher than what we'd like. Um, what are some of those options uh, as far as treatment, uh, Dr. Joswell? I, I know that's going to depend on the number that we get. Can you walk us through, uh, you know, the variation uh, with the treatment depending on the on the numbers that we got? Right. So, uh, again, a great, great question. And I think uh, uh, since we're talking about treatment, uh, it's really about lifestyle modification, what we kind of stress mm. to their patients when they walk into the door and if they've been diagnosed with uh, hypertension or stage 1 hypertension in particular. Uh, and lifestyle modifications uh, should be prescribed to all patients with elevated blood pressure or hypertension. Uh, you know, uh, things that we kind of, uh, or what I discuss with my patients are basically uh, uh, things such as dietary, you know, salt restriction, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, low, low salt in their diet. Uh, you know, weight reduction or weight loss. Because remember, mm-hmm. hypertension um, uh, that individuals have to have also have other comorbidities or other risk factors associated with them, such as uh, elevated uh, weight or, you know, or obesity. Um, so we call them weight loss uh, in terms of basically getting aerobic activity at least uh, three or four times a week. And then the DASH mm. diet. The DASH diet is also a, a, a handout or, or something that I discuss with my patients, and which stands for dietary approaches to stop hypertension. And basically, mm. what this is is basically these, this diet is basically high in uh, vegetables, fruits, low-fat dairy products, whole grains, you know, fish, poultry, and so forth. Uh, and, and, and studies have shown that this has been uh, shown to reduce, uh, you know, uh, you know, milliliters of mercury uh, of, of blood pressure in, in individuals. Uh, and mm-hmm. also, uh, the other thing I also advise patients is to limit the uh, intake of alcohol also. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, women, uh, women who consume two or more alcoholic beverages per day and men uh, who have three or more uh, drinks per day have a significantly increased risk or incidence of hypertension compared to people that do not drink. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the benefits of, like, you know, comprehensive lifestyle modification, uh, such as the DASH diet, increased uh, exercise, uh, has shown uh, uh, to lessen uh, or decrease the uh, use uh, of uh, uh, antihypertensive medications. Mm-hmm. That's that's great because I think what a lot you know some people are afraid to go to the doctor because they don't want to get on any medicine. But I, I think what people need to realize here, and you know, nobody wants to hear a diagnosis. But if you're going to have one, it's also good to know that these kind of non pharmacological or non-drug options are available. Now, it's up to you. It's up to the patient. But it's good to know that there are some changes that you can do at home uh, with regard to diet. And, and you know, we talked about this last week, and we, you know, with regard to coaching and lifestyle coaching and, and, and that kind of thing. But it's great to know uh, that at least some lifestyle changes, if you're willing and disciplined to make them, can keep you off of medication. So that's good to know. Right, right, and then and and then uh, I guess I think the next uh, uh, question would be when would medication be appropriate? I think mm-hmm. uh, uh, for for patients, uh, in in particular, uh, you know, when I look at blood pressure readings of patients, in particular, if their blood, pl- uh, blood pressure readings are you know greater than 135 over uh, 85, for instance, uh, that's that's when we get into that area about having a discussion about. Uh, uh, you know, uh, medication or therapy for, for individuals. And then also looking at the, as I mentioned earlier, about other comorbid factors, you know, if they're, if they're diabetic, if they have chronic mm. kidney disease, uh, their age, you know, if they're, um, you know, 65 years of age or older, uh, and then also their risk for heart disease. Uh, yeah. all, these, all these factors take into account uh, as to uh, a shared decision between starting medication with the patient. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's that's very key. And then I guess during that um, uh, consultation, uh, you know, I guess one needs to remember to ask about you know the possible side effects and complications uh, of the medicine. And they probably also at least uh, you know be counsel on the fact that you know whatever you start, huh, you shouldn't stop. I mean, uh, you know, I was a, right. I was a 
uh, uh, being a physician, you know, you see this all the time when, you know, uh, people start medications. They don't feel good or the medication has some untoward effect, and they just stop. And so I always encourage people, don't, you know, if you want to stop, don't do it without talking to your doctor, letting him know about it, him or her know about it. And ask for office visits. You can come in and be reevaluated. Uh, so I think that's very key because I guess we'll get into this later. Uh, it's not good to stop some. Uh, well, it's not good to stop any medication abruptly, but it's definitely in hypertension. It's not good to stop abruptly stop medication uh, without the doctor knowing about it. Yeah, I mean that's uh, I echo that hundred percent. I mean, in particular, in working with your uh, you know family physician or other clinician. Uh, stopping a medication, uh, particularly antihypertensive medication, uh, uh, can have, uh, in particular, medications such as clonidine, for instance, uh, a type of antihypertensive medication, can have uh, kind of rebound effects uh, uh, and, 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 and can be a little detrimental uh, for the patient themselves. Uh, and in particular, as I mentioned, and it seems the overall arching theme of today's talk was also about uh, hypertension being a silent killer, and uh, right. going unchecked, uh, uh, and even though you know you've done uh, lifestyle modification, that should be uh, uh, does not preclude that you know when you're on um, medication, uh, still uh, your lifestyle modifications uh, should be uh, on top of the fact that you're taking medications to lessen your mm. risk for uh, you know heart disease or heart attacks, stroke, or end stage renal disease. So uh, just taking medications alone, a lot of patients say, oh, I'm just going to, you know, patients say, I'm going to take the medication. Uh, I may not have to, or they think I, right, you know, right. they don't have to uh, go to the gym or work out. Right. Uh, it doesn't work that way. You know, you have to take care of the underlying issue there, right? Right. So uh, in order to kind of uh, maybe even, uh, you know, be tapered off uh, of the medication, you know? Right, and I think what a lot of people need to realize is that this is a this is a evolving, ongoing process. Meaning that, okay, if you're prehypertensive and you're able to, and or hypertensive, and you see your doctor, and whether the doctor prescribes lifestyle changes or medicine, you're still not off the hook. You got to come back in. Right. What is you know, and, and once again, we're not here to tell you how often to come in. That's up to you and your doctor. But but what does that frequency look like, uh, Dr. Joswald? When 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 we're mon- when you when you've instituted a plan, uh, what do, what do you do in your office with regards right. to how frequently do they come back? Right, that's a great question, and I think that's uh, on a uh, you know a case by case basis, depending yeah. uh, on in the individual. At least for me. Uh, if I feel fairly confident and the patient feels fairly confident about, uh, a, 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 you know, an action plan that we have after the end of the visit, knowing mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, the, these resources available to them and that they're going to be bringing back their blood pressure readings, uh, they're taking the medications as directed, in addition to that, abiding by the lifestyle choices, uh, and depending on their age or comorbidities, uh, that frequency varies widely. I mean, if they're diabetics, I have them come back, you know, uh, if it's controlled, you know, every uh, three months or so. Or if they're, if I find that their uh, blood pressure needs a little more adjustments, uh, uh, you know, uh, maybe every month or so to kind of, or every two to four weeks to see if they, if we can kind of get that uh, nicely controlled. So again, it's 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 a it's a partnership between you and your physician as to how, uh, uh, you know, uh, aggressive you want to be to kind of, uh, you know, have, have a good control over, over, over hypertension. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is there any uh, general things you'd like to mention with regard? We've talked about non-pharmacologic therapy, and which essentially is kind of lifestyle changes, the, you know, decreasing the weight, decreasing the amount of sodium. Uh, what about uh, any comments on it? And, you know, I know you can't go through every drug, uh, right. <laughs> that's there for hypertension <laughs> because it's they're everywhere. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah. W- any 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 uh, thoughts on in general with regard to pharmacologic uh, the pharmacologic side of treatment? Sure. I mean, um, you know, there's different for, for, classes like mm-hmm. diuretics and that kind of thing, and then you go to certain other types. But yeah, yeah. go ahead. So I mean, uh, like you said, I mean, the, the list in the armamentarium that we have for combating hypertension are are, are vast. But luckily, mm-hmm. we do have evidence-based medicine uh, and criteria and guidelines to abide by. 
Now, uh, for or for our listeners, uh, there are medications uh, they may have heard of called ACE inhibitors uh, or uh, angiotensin receptor blockers or ARBs. Uh, and uh, those medications uh, 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 have been shown to be pretty effective, uh, as well as the thiazide diuretic that you were mentioning. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and if you do monotherapy, meaning just a medication by itself, uh, uh, you know, uh, ACE inhibitors uh, uh, have been shown to be uh, pretty effective, uh, along with uh, um, uh, what we call, uh, again, uh, I'm talking to the audience, but long-acting calcium channel blockers, such as, uh, for instance, uh, Norvast or Amlodipine tends to be one of them. Uh, that, that mm-hmm. in combination therapy, uh, those two uh, in particular have been shown to be, have greater efficacy uh, than either alone. Uh, but those are those are those medications we can start off. And then generally, uh, in, in African-American populations, uh, a, a, a medication such as a diuretic, a thiazide diuretic, or a, a, you know, calcium channel blocker uh, as an initial medication, a monotherapy, has been shown to have great efficacy as well. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people have asked me that. You know, are, because African-Americans have a high, is in that group at one of the higher uh, 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 risks of getting that is there a different um, and, and I've read also some studies sometimes they could be African Americans can be a little bit more resistant with regard to therapy and the question right. was are there certain uh, medications that work better in African Americans than non African Americans so I'm glad you glad you brought that up um, b- b- before we go to uh, you know I, I, we've had people to email in some questions so we got a good bit of those so b- b- before we do that. Uh, are there any preventive measures? We talked about incidents. We talked about side effects. I mean, signs and symptoms. We talked about diagnosis. We talked about treatment. Uh, how is there a way to prevent hypertension, uh, so to speak, or is it kind of all related to some of the things we talked about before? Yeah, I mean, I think it's all encompassed. You know, just it's it's everything together. Meaning, it's mm-hmm. very integrated. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. your lifestyle choices, you know, smoking cessation, uh, high, uh, uh, you know, your risks or genetics-wise, you know, something that you can't really do, non-modifiable risk factors. But things that you can do are basically, you know, uh, weight loss, you know, uh, restriction mm-hmm. of, uh, of, of sodium, as I mentioned earlier, salt, uh, and then, uh, you know, uh, those reducing those, uh, those risk factors are basically what can you, what you can do to prevent you from uh, not only developing hypertension, but to prog- uh, have any progression of uh, some of its consequences, such as, uh, you know, end-stage renal disease. Uh, uh, you know, hypertension has been shown as been one or the first or second uh, top reason for individuals in the United States to develop, uh, to go on to uh, renal dialysis. Right, so, um, yeah. So that, yeah. That's, uh, th- these are things that, you, uh, that patients can do, uh, to prevent themselves from uh, having uh, dire consequences. Exactly, exactly. And on that note, we'll move on to some of the questions that I received. Uh, sure. And you mentioned, uh, you know, we talked about uh, one person asked, uh, she asked, uh, are there any, uh, does the hypertension affect uh, other organs such as the eyes or the, or the kidneys? And you, I think you just alluded to that. Uh, yeah. I think the answer to that is yes, but I'm gonna let you. <laughs> I'm gonna let yeah. you answer since you see this every day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, again, uh, this goes back to uh, it being a silent killer, and, and and these are what we call end organ damage. Uh, mm-hmm. Pretty much to the point where we get, uh, you know, blood pressure or uncontrolled hypertension take hold in in, in a patient, and that's what we we're trying to prevent here. And uh, and we pick up on this when, when you go to your doctor's office and you get uh, give a specimen for urine, for instance, or for some certain type of kidney function test that you do, we're able to kind of kind of gather and kind of pick up this uh, uh, th- this type of data and then kind of act on it. And also mm-hmm. the other thing we also do is when you go to the physician's office, you also get EKGs or electrocardiograms to kind of pick up on, you know, any heart-related issues that you can get. You know, high blood pressure can also affect and lead to congestive heart failure. Uh, just because right. your heart has to work so much harder to, against that resistance, and, uh, mm-hmm. and then people notice swelling in their feet. These, these are the type of symptoms that they get or shortness of breath. Uh, and these are the telltale signs that we can pick up on, 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 uh, with, with, on, on our, our physical examination as well as our laboratory testing that uh, that we do with with our patients. Mhm. Okay. 
Uh, Katie asks, uh, what is a good blood pressure for someone during exercise? Right. So uh, usually the blood pressure for exercise, uh, I believe, uh, again, I don't want to be misquoted on this. Uh, right. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it really depends on your age. <laughs> and mm-hmm. first, uh, uh, So anything that you're not exceeding uh, by close to, I would say, probably about 30 or 40 millimeters of mercury above what you're resting, uh, uh, you know, blood pressure uh, is, is is not a bad idea. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, Linda asked, uh, does stress really make your blood pressure go up? And if okay. so, at what point should you see a doctor? I guess she's dealing with a, if, I guess someone dealing in a stressful in, uh, employment environment or something like that. Sure, sure. Uh, I mean, stress in particular um, does, uh, there are many different uh, uh, reasons why that can happen. Your cortisol Mm -hmm. levels, which is a hormone that can elevate your blood pressure, uh, is a possibility. Uh, That may not be the whole complete story, but that is one Mm -hmm. of the things that you will require, and this is a good candidate, they would be a good candidate for uh, blood blood pressure monitoring and and then other workup as those tests, those lab tests that I mentioned to you or EKG that I mentioned to you earlier to kind of get a better sense or idea if that's actually what's uh, causing your blood pressure to go up. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. I agree with that. I agree with that. Uh, uh, Lee asked, uh, uh, he says, I have a history of stroke as well as hypertension. I'm on um, antihypertensive medications. I get headaches. Does that mean that my blood pressure is out of control? Uh, and I, and mm-hmm. he says, uh, sorry, he says, I also get nosebleeds. Why? <laughs> right. So usually um, headaches and nosebleeds uh, are technically, I mean, it's, 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 a, uh, it's not accurate that uh, high blood pressure would cause these type of things. It's, 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 uh, uh, it's really depending on you being tested and checking your blood pressure. That would give you a better sense. But uh, if you look at the American Heart Association uh, criteria and guidelines, uh, if you have what we call the worst headache of your life, that, that's of a concern, then you should seek emergent health, you know, or go to the nearest emergency room. But uh, if you're having chronic headaches, it might be other uh, underlying causes, such as migraines. Uh, and, and as far as nosebleeds are concerned, there may be other issues uh, in terms of uh, uh, getting an ENT evaluation. But high blood pressure uh, does not necessarily uh, exclusively cause uh, uh, headaches uh, and nosebleeds. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Tracy asks, can kids get high blood pressure? Uh, so uh, kids can get high blood pressure. They can get, they're more common to get what we call secondary hypertension, and there are other investigative causes. The criteria is, according to the American Heart Association, is individuals that are 18 years of age or above uh, can be diagnosed with high hypertension or primary hypertension. Individuals below that age need to be worked up uh, uh, for uh, agents such as what we call phaochromocytomas or certain types of uh, uh, masses uh, that can cause uh, uh, high blood pressure or certain type of uh, what we call renal artery stenosis. Uh, which mm-hmm. is kind of like a constriction of your uh, of the uh, of the arteries of the kidneys uh, that can sometimes also cause secondary hypertension. So yes, children can get uh, hypertension, or pediatric populations can have hypertension, but uh, not primary hypertension, not necessarily. Mm, okay. Okay. Uh, next question I have: uh, Can blood pressure make you tired? Can it cause mood swings or high blood pressure? Uh, blood pressure may not be exclusively causing you to get tired. I mean, there are other risks, uh, other uh, investigations that need to be uh, to be done. As far as causing mood swings, uh, not necessarily, uh, or no, I don't think that's exclusively high blood pressure causing mood swings. Uh, that may be more of a, a kind of a psychological or a mm-hmm. thyroid or hormonal issue. As, as, as well, it's a possibility that needs to be worked up. But as far as hypertension exclusively causing that, uh, that is uh, that is not uh, correct or accurate. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, another question: um, What blood pressure reading is considered stroke level? I think you might have alluded to that a little earlier, but yeah, what blood pressure reading uh, is considered stroke level? Right. So I think, uh, if, if I'm not mistaken, and again, don't quote me on this, but I, I believe it's 180 over uh, 120 
uh, mm-hmm. is considered to be a, a, hyper, a hypertensive or a urgency. Uh, so mm-hmm. that is what I consider. That's uh, you know, don't quote me on that at the moment right now. You're right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, yeah. and you can have a yeah. I mean, it's it's a lot of this is so like you said, it's it's, it's all connected. I mean. I guess some people have symptoms. Some people, uh, some people have had strokes in their sleep. Um, sure. So it just kind of depends, and and that's why this is a silent killer. You can't wait till you right. have symptoms. Like you said earlier in the show, <laughs> a lot of times when you start really getting symptoms, you, you might be in trouble. So um, right. this uh, uh, preventive uh, uh, approach is probably the best. And speaking of that, I think you might have alluded to some of this earlier. Another question came up is, what are some foods uh, that you can, uh, looks like, take with high blood pressure and are certain vegetables safe to eat uh, with high blood pressure? Right. I mean, uh, vegetables, green leafy vegetables in particular are pretty good. Uh, Low-fat diet is also uh, uh, pretty effective. What we call the DASH diet in particular. Yeah. If if Mm -hmm. patients can kind of, uh, if they have the opportunity, kind of uh, Google that or or, uh, kind of uh, go through that, that's that's been a good, uh, uh, you know, evidence-based medicine uh, uh, diet to have, uh, you know, shown to reduce uh, millimeters of mercury of, of, of patients. Uh, and not that just the diet itself, but also exercise along with that. Excellent, excellent. we got about a couple, a few more minutes left in the show, uh, Dr. Jaws. Well, before we go, I'd like for you to expound, you know, you, you uh, first of all, congratulations on completing your MBA at the oh, University of Tennessee's College of Business. I, I, I went through that program myself, so I know it's a good program. I know it's a rigorous program. So <laughs> <It> <laughs> congratulations. Is yeah. that right? But, but as I mentioned earlier in this show, you uh, received the title of Physician Quality Advisor at the Bon Secure Health System. Tell us about some of your, your work with regard to ensuring quality uh, sure. within the hospital realm. Sure, and uh, thank you again. Uh, so I was recently appointed as a physician quality advisor at my organization recently, and basically what that uh, entails and some of the duties that entails are basically to uh, look at uh, the workflow or the flow processing from the emergency room, emergency room onwards to the inpatient wards. Basically, if there's a bottleneck that's occurring in the emergency room in terms of uh, getting patients from the emergency room, uh, uh, that need to be admitted uh, onto the uh, inpatient floor units, uh, I, I, I try to find where those bottlenecks are and try to minimize that uh, and mm. try to facilitate that process. And then as far as the inpatient units are concerned and how to kind of uh, expedite or uh, uh, facilitate uh, the discharge processing so that, uh, you know, the emergency room and the inpatient uh, wards are communicating uh, efficiently and appropriately, uh, so mm-hmm. that uh, patients are not, uh, you know, uh, you know, nobody likes to wait in the emergency room. Certainly, nobody yeah. likes to wait in the emergency room uh, when they're being admitted and they don't have a place to go to on their floor. So that's what we're trying to do is improve the quality, and even also in terms of safety discharge-wise, um, you know, uh, the longer we stays, the less of stays that we have in the hospital. You know, the safety is an issue uh, mm-hmm. that you can get hospital-acquired infections, uh, urinary tract infections, so forth. So that's where I kind of come in and kind of uh, kind of have a little, you know, in terms of protocols in place or try to set protocols in place for those. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I think it's very important that the public needs to know that there there's always ongoing quality assurance or some type of program in, in a lot of health systems. What's the, the beauty of it is that physicians are getting involved with this because they're in direct contact with the patient. So I wanted right. to, to get you uh, to to tell us about your experience with that. Um, sure. Well, Dr. Joshua, it's been great having you on the show. Um, I'm glad you well, to, to, to to carve out some time. And, and hey, I, like I tell all guests, uh, don't think that because you come on the show once, you can't come back on again. I'd love <laughs> to have you back at some point. Uh, to talk about another topic at your choosing uh, at your time frame. So I, and I also want to invite your wife onto the show uh, <laughs> at some point. She's a clinical dietitian and diabetes yeah. educator. I think it's very important that a lot of people get as much information from healthcare professionals to help them with their disease. Yes, thank you so much again. Thank you for having me, and I'll definitely pass on the word to her, and I'm sure she would love to do something like that, yeah. Great, great. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes another exciting, 
exciting episode here on the Weekly Wellness Show. I hope and I know you had to find this information very beneficial. And like I always say, number one, if you missed it, don't please go back. Don't hesitate to listen to the podcast. But also, if you think that someone else can benefit from this information, please share it. Share it. Earlier in the show, I told you where you can you can hear this information again on iTunes and on the Weekly Wellness Show Facebook page. So we want to make sure that you keep this information out there so you can benefit. So don't forget to join us again next week for another exciting show. Taking us out is a group of jazz artists, better known as In Groove. So until next week, we want you to be happy, be healthy, and be kind.